Good morning, and welcome to Upward Vision. We're glad you've chosen to join us this morning. Upward Vision is a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church with locations in Bloomington and Bedford, Indiana. Now for today's message. We are at the end of this series that we've been in called MOVE. It has been an exploration of the sacred pathways that we as individuals use to connect and worship God. We've explored the enthusiast and the contemplative pathways. We've reviewed the traditionalist and the ascetic approaches to worshiping God. We've delved into the sensate and the naturalist approach. And last week, we studied the paths taken by the activist believer and the caregiving Christian. And so today, we're going to take a look at the last one. And it is captured in the words, with all your mind. This is the intellectual pathway. Now, I, I don't know how many of you took that assessment test or how you scored, uh, but I can tell you that the two top on my assessment score uh, were the naturalist and the intellectual pathways. And you're saying, oh, sure, Mr. Smarty Pants thinks he's brighter than the rest of us this morning. No, that's to misunderstand what the intellectual pathway is. It has nothing to do with a person's IQ. It has everything to do with how you best relate to God. And some people best relate to God through that mental study of his word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Remember what Jesus said? Again, this applies to all of us in some fashion. I mean, you need a certain amount of intellectual understanding to even to come to know who Jesus is. This pathway is the person whose approach to God is more mental than emotional. And we have folks in this congregation who, well, they would prefer that we had a 50-minute song service and a 10-minute sermon because they're, they're, the music touches their heart more. Others in the congregation would rather have a 50-minute study time and a 10-minute song service because they're more into God's Word. The Christian who grows closer with his mind learns more about God and his word and his will for us as his connecting point with the Lord. One's not better than the other. It's just the way God has wired us. Now, with all of the pathways that we've been exploring, there are some pitfalls along the way. If, for instance, it's easy to become condescending if, if you like to study more because you think perhaps you're closer to God through your study than somebody else is who loves to serve. Or you use your knowledge to win an argument by embarrassing somebody who doesn't know as much. That, that's not a good thing. And then there is the danger that you can become so absorbed in study that you forget to put your faith into practice. Words to you become more important than actions to you, and that's not good either. That's a real dangerous pitfall because there should be a balance between the two. Now, for instance, just consider for a few moments the difference between the letters of the Apostle John and the letters of the Apostle Paul. John's Greek is the easiest to translate in the New Testament. Now, his letters are intellectual, but they appeal to the heart. He challenges the Christian to act lovingly. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. John's appealing to our hearts and our lives. Paul's Greek, on the other hand, is tough to translate. His complex letters, while heartfelt to be sure, appeal to the mind. He challenges the Christian to think. Have this same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, Paul writes. Or, for a minute, consider the difference between 
David and Solomon. David composed many of the Psalms with poetic beauty. I mean, you read the Psalms, they grab you right here. Who cannot be emotional when you read the words of the 23rd Psalm? On the other hand, David's son and heir to the throne, Solomon, was known as the wisest man to live. And Solomon composed many of the Proverbs and the entire book of Ecclesiastes with logical expertise. His writings often appeal to the head, composed with logical thought and wise conclusions. I mean, how often does Solomon remind us of life's futility with the words, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. As a matter of fact, I'd like to explore a few of the themes this morning from Ecclesiastes because this seems to be one of those books that really appeals to the mind as Solomon takes us through this journey of logical conclusions. Now, my favorite single expression in the book is a chasing after the wind. That phrase occurs nine times in the 12 chapters and is an apt description of the way most of us spend our lives, futilely chasing the wind. We read it first in chapter 1, verse 14. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What a beautiful and significant way to, to address our issues of, well, spending our time on futile efforts that don't matter. You see, what, what Solomon really wants us to get to both in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, is that we should pursue God-pleasing goals. So here are just a few thoughts that come out of Ecclesiastes this morning in a summary way. First one is simply, live all your life wisely. Have you ever noticed how runners look at the beginning of a marathon, fresh, excited, pumped up with energy, ready to go? Have you ever compared that to how they look at the end of the marathon? After those 25 miles have gone by, their look of exhaustion blends with sheer determination to cross that finish line. Just get across the finish line. Life is like that. Life is a marathon. As the race progresses, the body wearies, and it is sometimes by sheer determination that we cross the finish line. As Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, he is at mile marker 25. Solomon is writing this at the end of his life. And listen closely to how he opens the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. The word remember is a word that indicates taking action or acting decisively on behalf of someone else. In this case, acting decisively about God. While you are young, he says, follow your creator, run his race, stay close to him because the tough times will come and you'll find no pleasure in the tough times. But if you're close to God, he'll help get you through. You see, if you don't follow the Lord in your youth, you may miss out on him in the waning miles of the race. Statistically speaking, the longer you wait to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the odds increase greatly that you never will. So, surrender your life to your creator in your youth and follow him all the way through. You see, Solomon's story is a tragic one. His many pagan wives 
drew him, lured him away from his worship of God. They came from all different kinds of religious backgrounds, and Solomon allowed himself to be taken in. Now, some suggest that Solomon writes Ecclesiastes as a summary of his life's story. This is his journey. He's been chasing the wind all of his life, and in his last days, he comes back to the Lord. I hope that's true. I hope in his last days, Solomon didn't come back to the Lord and, and begin to follow him again. But by the time he gets to the end, he knows what counts and what doesn't. And the following description of aging is this beautiful part of, of the last chapter where Solomon says, I've gone through all this life. I'm, here's where I am in the process. Verse 2, he says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. That's what happens when the mind ages. It becomes foggy and unclear. The synapses don't fire as quickly as they used to if they fire at all. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, that's when the hands begin to shake and the legs go weak. When the grinders cease because they are few and they're looking through and those looking through the windows grow dim, the grinders of the teeth that have worn down with the passing of time, the windows are the eyes that have grown dim with the passing of time. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, that's hearing gone bad. I've had this hearing aid in my left ear now for three years. I hear the chaos and the noise much louder than I ever did before. That's about what it does for you. I don't know if you've got a hearing aid, how it may, but the chaos and the noise is much louder because you see nothing, nothing can compare to God's design as he created us. When men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, that's sleepless and restless nights. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, worries and uncertainties become more intense as the years move on. I used to think that my grandparents' worries were silly. Now I have the same worries for my grandchildren. When the almond tree blossoms, the almond tree blossom is white, and so that means when the hair turns white, and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred, that describes the point in time when we pass the ability to reproduce ourselves in this world. And then he says, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. That's just a poetic way of saying we die. We come to the end of this journey and we die. So before we die, what? What does it all mean? I read these words with more understanding every passing year. <laughs> I vowed that when I got older, I would not talk about medical tests and operations and procedures. Oh, I broke that promise years ago. <laughs> I keep having these junior moments when I can't recall a word or a name. I'm asking what's wrong with me, but, but I know what's wrong with me. And the longing for home grows stronger with every passing year. But you see, that's the way God planned it. And in this time of life, God has made it beautiful by giving us grandchildren to bring joy. The process of aging may not always be easy, so work hard to keep your focus on the positive. Now, why this description of aging? Why is Solomon writing it like this? Because Solomon discovered that it is more challenging to keep the faith as time passes, and yet with the passing of time, keeping our faith becomes ever more important. So live all of your life wisely.
Here's the next one. Fulfill your duty faithfully. And this is at the end of the chapter. This is where he comes in the conclusion in verse 13 of chapter 12. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God. That doesn't mean cower before God. It means you need a healthy balance of love and reverent respect. God's not a monster waiting to stomp you out, nor is God your buddy or the old man upstairs, as so many people flippantly refer to him. God demands our fear, which means our love and reverent respect. And he says, obey God. Fear God and obey God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience is an expression of genuine love. Solomon boils it down to fear God and keep his commandments. This is our whole duty. Bottom line, some of you here have been chasing the wind all your life. You just keep putting all your time, energy, and resources into those things that in the long run won't really matter. You're betting your eternity on the odds that you've got enough time if you wait just right to put God first in the last breath. Such thinking is foolish. Wise up. Stop chasing the wind. Fear God and keep his commandments. I've seen so many changes in the life of this congregation. I remember my first day on the job in January of 1981. It wasn't a Sunday. It was a, it was a work day. It was a Monday morning. And uh, nobody, you know, there was no other staff, okay? I was it. We didn't have a secretary. We didn't have a custodian. I was it. And, uh, and so on my first day in the office, nobody told me that when you unlock the door to the, to the office that it didn't stay unlocked. Okay, so I walk into my office to throw my keys and my books down on the desk, walk out, the door closes behind me, and I can't get back in. <laughs> and then the phone starts ringing, and I know it's probably one of the church leaders calling to welcome me to my first day and to make sure that I'm on the job, on time, and I can't answer the phone, and I can't even drive to get someplace to get help. So I walk across the street to Russell Watson's house, and Mrs. Watson let me use the phone, and I called the only person out of the 80 people that were here that I knew that lived in the neighborhood of Sherwood Oaks, hoping that she had a key, and that was Bev Petrie, and Bev, bless her heart, she had a key, and she came over to the church, got me into the office. I was a mess by the time we sat down uh, in the office, you know. That was my very first day. That's how this whole thing got started. So I'm looking forward to all the seasons that God still has planned for this congregation, and I know there are many bright ones in the future. So I'm excited about the progress as we turn, turn, turn in these seasons of life. I'm also really looking forward to my next season of life, I've embraced every season with joy and anticipation. When I was 25 years old, I, that's when I locked my keys in the office. And next March, Uncle Sam will welcome me to the Medicare party when I turn 65. <laughs> 40 years, four decades. You know, 40 is a pretty significant biblical number. Sometimes it's a number that represents testing, but it's really a number that represents generations. After 40 years of wandering through the wilderness, the Israelites made it into the promised land. King Saul, David, and Solomon each reigned over the nation of Israel for 40 years apiece. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. 
So at the end of April next year, I'm going to step up to a new calling in retirement. This is my choice, and it's the right thing to do. The elders and I have been working on this, um, well, for well over a year. No, they've not asked me to step down. This is what I want to do. This is my desire. I mean, and folks, the time is right for a lot of reasons. 40 is a good number. Do you realize how few preachers have had the privilege of preaching in one place for 40 years? What a blessing you have been. Thank you. You are way too kind. You see, I want to retire at the top of my game. Staying too long could hinder the church's future. And I believe that there are challenges ahead that are, that, that are far better suited to a younger leader. And I believe that a congregation can become so comfortable with the status quo that they lose the excitement for the future. I also believe that new leadership can energize and mobilize some excitement in the life of a congregation. And I believe that our congregation, our family here is in very good uh, place. I, I think we're in a healthy spot. We're debt-free. Uh, we have a terrific younger and talented staff with so much to offer. We, we are a positive place with very little of the church politics that you find in so many other places. I just haven't seen it or experienced it for 40 years. It's a good time. I have a retired preacher friend who said, I'd rather retire one year too soon than one day too late. I think he's right on target. And we have, in my mind, the right man to step into this role. The elders and I are unanimous in recommending that Sean Green become the next lead minister at Sherwood Oaks. Sean has the right blend of maturity, experience, humility, and vision to make him the right choice. And Sean has previously served in a large church, so he understands the dynamics of a large church. He's also worked with a struggling congregation out in Rhode Island to bring stability to that place before coming back to the Midwest. Sean can follow, which is a prerequisite for leading. And I believe it is important for the next person to come from within our ranks for the congregation to have had time to get acquainted with him. And you'll get to know him and Amber and their daughters in the months ahead. And come spring, we will have a congregational meeting so that you'll have the chance to affirm that transition in his life. Because when I pass the baton in April, I want him to be able to pick up the pace and move ahead. But I want you to remember, church, I want you to remember there is but one head of the church the body of Christ, and that is Jesus himself. Preachers come and go, but the Lord reigns over his church forever. So do not forget who is really the head and the lead of the church. As for us, Elsie and I want to take our years of experience with this congregation and continue ministering. I have no intention of rocking away my days on the, on the back patio. That's not me. 
Now, we're not sure exactly what this next phase of ministry may look like in retirement, but Elsie and I are going to explore a lot of options. I, uh, there's just a lot of options. And I assure you, we are not leaving Bloomington. You have been our spiritual family for four decades, and you will continue to be so. We will need your friendship now more than ever. Yeah, we'll be away from the congregation for a period of time, but our family is here. Our grandchildren are here and are involved. We'll want to be present to encourage them. We'll want to be present to encourage you. You see, I really want us to do this right. This transition needs to happen in a manner that honors God first and foremost. I want it to be smooth and thoughtful. I want this to be an example to the kingdom at large. I want it to be an encouragement to our community. It has been an awesome joy serving with each of you. Some longer than others, but an equal joy nonetheless. Your talents, servant hearts, creativity, commitment, friendship, and kinship in Christ have made this an incredible journey. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now let me share with you something that happened last fall. Before any of this became uh, really known beyond myself and the elders as we were working through this. I was out in the back parking lot of the church here, the one that's out behind the bus barn. Uh, we call it the back 40 here. And uh, while I was working back there, there was a car that was pulled in at a, an unusual angle. The, the glass was a little bit darker. And I, I thought, oh, that's, that's a little bit uh, odd. And uh, I hadn't been out there but about a minute. And the door opened and a younger lady got out. Uh, a young lady that used to be a part of this congregation here. And she's now involved in another congregation in town. And she says, Tom, it's just me. I pulled back here to be quiet where I, where I can pray. Is that all right? And I said, absolutely. You just make yourself at home and pray as long as you want. And I went back to doing what I was working on. And, and uh, suddenly the, the door opened again about two minutes later. And she said, with a, a bit more hesitancy in her voice, she said, uh, uh, Tom, she said, uh, the Lord said, you have ministered to, a, to so many people. She said, I'm supposed to minister to you. And she said, I have some words from him. Now, my guard is really up, okay? I, it always makes me a little squeamish when somebody says they have a word from the Lord for me. And I said, okay, um, I'll, yeah, sure. And so she said, this is what the Lord wants me to tell you. Do not lose heart. I will be with you through this transition. She says, does that mean anything to you? Because it doesn't mean a thing to me. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, that means a whole lot. Thank you for being faithful to, to the Lord and giving me what I need to hear. I can't tell you how many times I have drawn on those words. Because that promise is not just for me. It's not just for my family. It's not just for Sean and Amber and their family. It's for us as a whole congregation. Because if God is going to be with me through this transition, if he's going to be with Sean through this transition, he's going to be with this congregation through this transition. And I am ever so grateful that God is faithful. I'll be ever so grateful for his grace and provision that through every turn, turn, turn season of life, he's there. And that he has promised to make everything beautiful in its time. I'm going to ask Sean if he'll come up and just say a few words here as we begin to wind up this morning. Then the elders are going to come and pray for the church and pray for us momentarily. When I came to Sherwood Oaks a little over two years ago, almost two and a half years ago, I came to, to this place just hurting. Um, I was emotionally and spiritually exhausted after a very difficult season of, of ministry and really just in, in life. 
And this place became a place of healing for us. It became a place of refuge where the Lord ministered to me and to my family, I think even more so than what we've ministered to anybody else over the last two years. And that's especially true for the Bedford campus. We, it has been such a joy serving in Bedford. I, I gotta be honest, it was a bit of a culture shock moving from Providence, Rhode Island to Bedford, Indiana. And as we made that transition, we were praying, Lord, you're gonna have to help us to love this community. And you know what? He answered that prayer. We love Bedford, and they have loved us so well over the last two years. They uh, have been like Jesus to us. They have been uh, just a place where their burden has been light uh, on us. They have stepped in and filled in gaps where, I, you know, there were times where I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what we should do, where we should go. They have been incredibly gracious and loved our family well, and we're going to continue to support the Bedford campus as we move into the future. Tom's gonna to share a little bit more about that uh, here in, in a little bit. Our West Campus, you know, there, there's great things that are happening here at Bloomington East, but at our West Campus, the Spirit of God is moving in an incredible way through John and through his team and the ministry that's going on out at Sherwood Oaks West. And we're, I'm looking forward to, to continuing to work with John and partner with his team just to see how we can get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit continue to move at Sherwood Oaks West. As we come into transition, um, it's just going to be tough. I mean, it's going to be tough sure. for you. You've been very honest and open about that. It's going to be tough for, for me and for, for my family as we move in and get to know a new community and you all get to know me and we get to know you. And anytime you go through a transition like this, especially when the transition involves someone who has served so well and so faithfully here over the course of the last four decades, there's going to be a sense of loss. And whenever there's a sense of loss, then there's also gonna be emotions of grief that come alongside of that. And, and I want you to know that, that this is gonna be a safe place where you can experience that grief. Over the next several months, we are going to honor Tom. We're gonna to celebrate his ministry. There's gonna be a lot of tears that are shed over the coming weeks and months as we think about Tom no longer being the senior minister at Sherwood Oaks. And that's okay, that's healthy. Embrace that. But something that the Lord has impressed on my heart over the last several months is, is a passage of scripture that I don't think is just for me. I don't think it's just for Tom. I think it's for our church. And, it, and it's in the transition between Moses and Joshua. Moses had passed away. Now, Tom is in good health as far as we know, and so we don't have to worry about the hat, which is good because you remember the coffee that we had like six years ago? We're going to have a lot more of those in the coming years, man. But Moses is, is passing away. Joshua is assuming the role of, of leadership. And there's this refrain throughout Joshua chapter one that I think is just a, a word from, from God to us as well. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous, church. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. Amen. And there's some exciting things that are ahead. And we may know that, but we're also going to feel that sense of loss. But let me tell you something that I am most encouraged by as we approach this weekend, as we approach the next eight months in this transition. It's something that Tom alluded to earlier. I'm encouraged by the fact that the head of the church is not going anywhere. 
Because the truth is, is that Tom has never been the head of the church and I'm never gonna be either. That is Jesus' rightful place. And Jesus continues to sit on the throne no matter who fills the pulpit. And we're gonna keep our eyes focused and fixed on him as he leads us into the future of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this opportunity uh, to serve you as the next lead minister. I'm grateful for the opportunity to work alongside of our staff and our team. We have an incredible staff made up of men and women who love the Lord and love you. And I can't wait to see how God uses them as we move into the future. Looking forward to serving with our elders, wonderful men who are humble and who love this church and lead it so well. I'm looking forward to serving with you as we um, build upon what Tom has built here so far. And we reach our community and we reach this world in new exciting ways for the kingdom. This has been Upward Vision, a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. With locations on the east and west sides of Bloomington and in Bedford, Sherwood Oaks has a worship service to meet your needs. To receive a free copy of today's message or for more information about any of our locations and service times, go to socc.org messages. Thanks for joining us. Continue to look to God this week as you maintain the upward vision.